Welcome to Locked on Lakers for a Monday. Who is Cam Reddish? We will tell you during the ultimate Cam Reddish scouting report. That's coming up next. You are Locked on Lakers. Your daily Los Angeles Lakers podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. Thanks for making Locked On Lakers your first listen wherever you get your podcasts. Always free, never behind a paywall. And Locked On Lakers on YouTube is where you can go to interact with a really fun, really active, cool community of now officially 20,000 subscribers. We are really excited, really grateful. Thank you. Be sure to tell other Laker fans you know about this awesome space. Cam Reddish is a really intriguing, if very polarizing, young wing who's been Loudly connected to the Lakers through the rumor mill for a year, maybe even two. He's now officially a Laker, but what do they have in Reddish? We are going to figure that out during a scouting report of Reddish's entire career beginning in Atlanta. So joining me for the first look at Cam Reddish is the host of Locked on Hawks. You can also read his NBA coverage at Dime on Uproxx. Brad Rowland, how you doing, man? I am living the dream. I appreciate you having me on. I was wondering how you would describe his tenure as a Hawk. He was a 10th overall pick. Uh, Trey Young was a year into his career when they drafted Reddish. It was a very turbulent period for the team, but it also included an Eastern Conference run in Reddish's last full season with Atlanta. So there was a lot going on, it seemed. Yeah, definitely a lot going on. Like He, he and DeAndre Hunter are kind of linked in Hawks lore together. They were kind of the two prized wings in this in a single draft they came in like you said in the middle of a rebuild uh right behind Trey Young and lots of expectations I think uh, a lot of the a lot of fans really were very 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 excited about Reddish in a way that I'm sure we'll get into as to why that might be and uh just uh, you know kind of an incomplete tenure you know by the end he kind of very obviously wanted out uh the Hawks acknowledged that on the way out when they traded him he kind of wanted to go somewhere else and it wasn't necessarily like it was in, you know, sort of irreconcilable but uh I think he saw bright stars somewhere else uh, in a way that maybe impacts the, all, all, every step of his career to this point in time. But I think generally speaking, it was kind of a, you know, flashes of positivity, um, some disappointment as well uh, in the way that, you know, a top 10 pick not really working out for you, so to speak, is never going to go over too well. But it also uh, there was some promise there, too. Listening to you t uh, say that, you know, the bright lights and stuff like that. Do you picture him liking just the concept of being a Laker and everything that comes with that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we can get into it, but I think there's kind of like a fundamental disconnect in what I have seen from covering Cam for two and a half years and even before. Like, he was always a very hyped prospect, even as a high school kid, went to Duke, all the stuff. And I think that he, uh, to this point, and I, you know, I haven't covered him for the last year. Maybe, maybe this has changed. But I, I think he's kind of always viewed himself as a potential star, and he kind of mm -hmm. plays that way, and he carries himself that way. And I think that, um, you know, there's always also been the clutch, the clutch stuff, which I'm sure you yeah. hear, I've always heard about forever. And you know, it's it's we've, we've all made the jokes about Cam finally ending up with the Lakers because it's kind of been rumored and, and kind of you know joked about for a long time. So as far as being a Laker, I think he'll fit in right. I think he'll fit in very well there. Uh, the question ultimately with Cam always <laughs> is the fact that basically is like does he realize at this point heading into year five that he's probably not going to be a star and like what's that adjustment period like because it's not unique to him like most guys who don't become stars who think they are going to be 
there's a point in their career where they have to kind of buy into not being a star and kind of doing the little stuff more often. And that's kind of the question with Cam, really. How would you describe his offensive game in general? Yeah, I think that part of the efficiency questions with Reddish is kind of what I was getting to. You know, a lot of that was that he was given a lot of rope on a rebuilding team early on. And, um, you know, guys who are 19, 20 years old who probably shouldn't have big usage uh, often struggle with efficiency when they get it. Um, But I I think it kind of comes down to, in some respects, you know, Cam is not an elite athlete. He looks like a great athlete. He's very Hmm. smooth, but he's not explosive. Like he's a very smooth athlete, but he's not a good vertical athlete. And it's kind of surprising unless you watch him closely, but a lot of finishing issues. Like you would think this guy who's six eight, you know, this big pedigree wing would be this great finisher, but he really has struggled all the way through his career finishing around the rim, uh, just because he's not quite explosive enough. And then he likes to he, he likes to settle a lot, lots of contested jumpers, and the, kind of the way that you would think that efficiency might be challenged. But um, part of that was usage. I think a lot of that was the way, was kind of more the way he played than the ability to finish and the the ability to be more um, efficient. And really, the the three point shot never really found him in Atlanta. There were there were bright spots along the way, but um, again, part of that is quality of attempts. But he never became the kind of you know mid to high thirty three point shooter they were looking for him to be. So a little bit of everything on the inefficiency, but um, part of that really, and I think the, probably the fundamental thing is that he never really found like what he was good at as far as like, maintaining that efficiency offensively. And I think that's still probably uh, one of the questions now. Boy, that that lack of elite athleticism and explosion I think is going to come as a surprise to a lot of people watching and listening to this he did not do a lot of playmaking um mm-hmm. but did you see signs of an ability to do it like if, if if it was something that he put his mind to I don't think there's anything glaringly poor about his feel like I think he can be, can be a better passer than he's been but this is a guy who has a you know I, I believe is still career underwater and it's just for it's this turnover ratio. Um, and that's not, you know, that's only one stat, but it's usually not a great sign when you're four years in your career and you're still underwater there. Um, it is again, feel feel-wise, it's not it's not broken. It really was just it's more of a um, what role are you in? And I think honestly, we'll probably come back to this, I'm sure. But one of the questions that I would have, and one of the maybe optimistic points, if you're viewing it through the Lakers prism, is that maybe, you know, he's now seen, he's gone through these three teams, his team four. He, there was no big contract waiting for him in free agency once he, when he finally got there. Maybe the light comes on and say, hey, I'm going to buy in now and be a, be more of a role guy and like, take, take, you know, be more of a three and D kind of thing. And I wasn't trying to scare anybody with, that, with his athleticism. He's not a bad athlete. But I think the reputation is kind of why I said what I said is that it was the same where Hawks fans like the assumption is if you watch his highlights or if you just look at the way he moves, you think he's, he's and, and look, he's six, eight. So like you don't have to be a great athlete when you're six, eight and fluid. If you watch him try to attack the rim, it's not super duper explosive in the way that you might think. So that's why I kind of what I brought it up in the first place. No, no, no. I mean, reputationally, he is yeah. seen as one of these guys with high end athleticism, even by NBA standards. And again, it's in need of honing. It may be in part because he just looks like somebody who would have it. Defensively, speaking of reputations, he's he's got a rep for having the tools, but not either knowing how to use them or focusing, dedicating himself enough to use them. What did you see from him as a defender, particularly instinctively? Because young guys, and that's when he was, especially with the Hawks, they often struggle on that end of the floor. Yeah, I think that's a spot where his rep is actually pretty accurate and that he does have really good tools defensively. He's got great hands. Like, I think his instincts as a playmaker defensively, you know, a steals guy, deflections guy are pretty good. Um, 
And I've, I've always kind of wondered if, you know, this is one of those theories a lot of, around a lot of guys is like when they maybe can focus more of their energy defensively, when they kind of not to give up on their offense, but like kind of realize they're not going to be a high usage guy probably in the NBA on offense. Like maybe you I mean, on this team, on this team, he's like Same the thing. sixth option at, that's basically his ceiling is like the yeah. sixth option. And, and the hope would be that because I've always thought, even as a draft prospect, I actually thought his his supplementary skills were underrated. Like his defense in particular was underrated because I think if you watch the tape at Duke even, he was better on defense than you, people might have thought he was going to be. Um, and there were flashes in, in Atlanta. I, again, as a playmaker especially, but he'd have these, you know, he'd have a core here or a half here where he was like really popping off the screen defensively. But it would wax and wane in a way that you kind of laid out there. Young guys wax and wane. So I do think his defense could get there. It's a matter of, you know, the attention to detail and uh, focusing. And not it's not always, eff- you, know, you know, this like it's not only effort at the NBA level. You have, you have to play, play hard is just part of the deal. And then everything else is execution stuff. I was looking over at some of his numbers during that run where the Hawks went to the Eastern Conference Finals a couple seasons ago. And Reddish missed a lot of that run. He was injured. Yeah. But his numbers during the small time that he did play were actually really good. It, was there anything that you remember from that time in the playoffs that stood out to you with him? Yeah, he did shoot the ball really well in that. I think he, when he, he finally came back, he actually came back in the conference final. Yes. This is a very challenging yes. situation yes. for a guy who was 21, I think, at the time. Yeah. Um, and he shot it great. I think there was the, there's one game that I remember vividly. I think it might have been the last game of the, of the series, game six, where he he just shot it great. He made, he made a bunch of kind of contested jumpers, and it was like – the 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 Cam Reddish fever dream is what I would say. Like it was like you know putting guys in the mix and pulling up and taking these and making them in a way that looks like a superstar when he when he has it going. It really does look incredible. Um, it's just not it's not everybody be able to do that. But I think it was more like it was a good shooting run. And I think he shot the in general his last season or so in Atlanta. He shot three. He shot perimeter jumpers yes. much better, which I think was always fundamentally there it just hasn't really always clicked but i do believe in the shooting and again that kind of goes back to the whole picture of like i think that, i think there's probably a pretty interesting three and d guy in here i don't know if he wants to be that and that was always the question but i i, I kind of see that as his potential uh when you talked about like the idea of that three and d guy being there do you have confidence that somebody like phil handy on the lakers staff who's just renowned for player development with good reason could be somebody to get through to, to reddish and and bring the best out of him yeah, I, I think so, and I, I think in general the shooting form is is good with him. He's got good tools as a shooter and decent enough touch. And again, I don't want to I don't want to keep belaboring the point, but I do think, and I've always thought this. Dave, back to I said this about when, when with the Hawks. I think it really is a um, what does he want to be? Does he does he buy in? And maybe Phil Haney is the guy who can unlock this with him, or maybe it's a situation, or all, or maybe it's LeBron, all this stuff. Maybe you could just like he finally has the light come on and says, hey. If I don't buy into a role now, I'm going to be out of the league. I'm going to be somewhere else because that. I mean, this you know this very well. He didn't have this robust market this offseason. Like he no. wasn't turning down ten million dollars a year from other from other teams. Like this is kind of it. And for a guy drafted in the top ten, it's been kind of a pretty a precipitous fall. And I think part of that is that um, there is a rep there, and I think he's earned. Like he thinks he's better than he is, kind of thing. And I wonder if uh, maybe this is kind of the buy-in situation. But yeah, Phil, I mean, I don't know if Phil Haney like Haney like you do, but the reputation is fantastic there, and maybe he can get through to him and also just kind of maximize the three-point shooting, which would be very helpful because I think the best version of him involves you know, being a solid or better shooter. And, and, and I think it, at times it's been that, but overall efficiency-wise in his career, you know, 32% is not going to be good enough. 
He's Brad Rowland. You can hear him as the host of Locked on Hawks. You can also read his NBA coverage at Dime on Uproxx. Really appreciate the time, man. This is a great insight into the beginning of Reddish's career. We're going to look to cover it all as this episode goes. So thank you. My pleasure. Happy to be doing it. Coming up, a look at Reddish's time in New York with the Knicks. That's next. And Locked on Lakers is brought to you by FanDuel. And you can take your first swing at betting MLB on FanDuel and get 10 times your first bet in bonus bets up to $200. That's right. Just bet 20 bucks and you'll land 200 bucks in bonus bets, win or lose. And you can bet on everything from the money line to the over-under to whoever you think is going to hit the first home run in a game. And if you are looking ahead, FanDuel has the odds on the MVP, Cy Young, World Series winners, and for Laker fans who also love the blue, Freddie Freeman, Mookie Betts, Clayton Kershaw, and the Dodgers as a team, respectively among the leaders in those categories. It's all on an app that's safe, secure, really easy to use, and when you win, you get paid instantly. No waiting around. There's no better place to bet on MLB than FanDuel, America's number one sports book. So sign up today. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get up to 200 bucks in bonus bets. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, the official partner of Major League Baseball. And joining me now for another look at Cam Reddish is the co-host of Locked on Knicks. He is also the editor-in-chief for the Strickland, another great spot for Knicks coverage. Alex Wolf, Alex, how are you, man? I'm doing great. I'm, uh, you know, enjoying the offseason and uh, the fervor that a little bit of success has thrown Knicks fans into. Before we get into some of the specifics, how would you just describe his, gen- his like general tenure in New York? Sort of mercurial, confusing. Um, I don't know. It was, it was kind of weird, you know. Like it, it took him a long time to find the court after the trade deadline last year because he came over with, I think it was a sprained ankle, some form of injury. So like he didn't get to see the floor right away when he got over. Then once he did start seeing the floor, he wasn't seeing it consistently last year for most of the year until it almost seemed like maybe the front office kind of prodded Tibbs a little bit and were like hey, you got to play this kid a little bit more than you're playing him. Like, because we just, you know, we have to see what we have in him. And that's where, you know, Gavin and I, uh, my co-host, were like clamoring for that, like all of the end of last year. And then early this year, it seemed like maybe he wasn't going to be in the rotation. But then like some early injuries, Quentin Grimes was not able to start the season. Um, Evan Fournier was underperforming some, you know, just uh, some little factors led to him getting some minutes early this season for the Knicks. And like, he had himself some moments, you know, like he he looked pretty good in some games. And I at least kind of thought that he was sort of finding himself. And then he just like the second that Grimes was back, essentially, he was essentially just cast to the side. And it was like, you know, like the the Toy Story, like, I don't want to play with you anymore. <laughs> mean. Like that was tips to Cam Reddish. Like, that's it. I'm done. I mean, he's done that with a number of different guys on the Knicks. But Reddish was probably the most stark all right, well, let's let's get into what happened on the court when Tibbs actually was playing Cam Reddish, starting with the offense. What did you make of his game? Yeah, shot selection can be a little dicey. Um, I think the big thing with his three-point shooting, why it has so much variance, the guy's like, when he shoots threes, is sort of like a wacky inflatable arm flailing tube man. Like, he just... <laughs> He's like his legs go everywhere, his arms go wherever. You know, it's just like it, it's it's bizarre. You know, you never quite know what to make out of it. 
Um, and I think that that lack of consistency in his form is what has sort of doomed him to like this, like very up and down career so far. Um, because he just can't find that, like that consistent form and, and through that find consistency, you know, in the NBA, but like, as far as his game, like, you know, the shooting, yeah, you're going to get some hot and cold moments, but like transition wise, I always found him to be pretty aesthetically pleasing. Um, you know, he's good in transition, good at like kind of pacing himself, getting to the rim that way. Um, maybe gets a little tunnel vision-y sometimes in transition when you would hope that he would kind of have his head up and be looking to possibly hit someone behind him trailing on the break or, or something like that. But all in all, not too shabby. And then getting to the rim in general, I thought that was where he was starting to really make some progress with the Knicks this year um prior to eventually getting benched and you know there there were some times where he was starting to really like attack the baseline well i thought that was really important like if he was out in the corner and then would get the ball and someone would close on him like for a for a three he was pretty good at putting the ball on the floor getting inside kind of contorting his way in there um i don't remember exactly how many like free throws he was drawing i did just pull up his game log to refresh my memory yeah like towards when he was really starting to kind of heat up right ironically before he like got benched um i mean he was getting like three four five free throw attempts per game which for a guy playing like 25 30 minutes is not half bad you know it's funny like i remember when he was going to duke even you know he had this this rep as like a potential like point forward type of guy like Mm -hmm. a guy that could potentially run your offense and like some some people had him as like the number one recruit in the country over Zion and RJ and everybody else because of that. Like that they're like, Oh, this, this kid might like, you know, be a, a real distributor. I don't know that I ever really saw too much of that. Like right. I, I found myself often wishing that he would look to pass out a little more than he did. And again, like on his drives and stuff, sometimes he would, he would do that. But I, I, all in all, you know, he, he's definitely the type of guy that, and this this might be a byproduct of what his situation was with the Knicks, right? Where he was constantly having to like validate himself in the eyes right. of Tibbs, where it felt like a lot of times when the ball touched his hands, he was like, This might be my only chance to prove that I belong on the floor. And a lot of times guys equate that to scoring. It's tough for me to really say, like, like I don't want to like crap on him and be like the guy at tunnel vision or whatever, but it felt that way sometimes. But I also sort of get it. Um, speaking of things that'll get you benched for Tibbs, the defense, A, what did you think in terms of the effectiveness? But if if that reputation for not being there is accurate, what do you see holding him back? I think it's mostly like feel that holds him back. Um, he had some decent moments in like man-on-man defense. Um, you know, I, I think he does a pretty good job with using his wingspan and stuff to help contain a guy. Um, that, that seems to be a solid skill of his. He's not half bad either at like playing passing lanes. I remember that being, it's so funny. Like I'm trying to think back on Brad Rowland from locked on Hawks said that he was a very good defensive playmaker at times. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, but it comes in fits and spurts. And I think that that leads to, as with a lot of guys that haven't quite like the guys that don't really have the best feel, they sometimes can make those plays and it looks mm-hmm. really great and splashy, but then they sometimes like don't know when to stop doing that. <laughs> and I feel like that's sort of reddish's thing. Like I think he gambles a little bit on defense and doesn't necessarily like read the play um, as well as you would really want. So I, I think that's probably my main gripe with him. I can see the defensive potential and there were times where like in man defense and, and certain matchups where he looked pretty good. 
but I think that overall he just has to like learn better to be in a team concept on defense and play a role on defense rather than just like even when he's not the primary defender or like involved in some sort of action. And I think that's, that's his greatest area for improvement, which given the team he's going to, I think probably works out pretty well for him with the Lakers because they have a pretty good team defense scheme. Brad Rowland said something interesting to me that he thought that Reddish had a personality that was built, not, not just built well for the spotlight, but something that he thought Reddish would be seeking from his time with the Knicks, is that something that you saw as well? Like that the bright lights, he enjoyed that? Yeah, almost to a fault. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like I got the feeling, you know, it seems like he views himself very differently than how everybody else to this point in his career has viewed him. Like, I mean, he was he was a fine role player for the Hawks, right? And yet he was asking out as if he was like a superstar, you know, right. and it's like do you really have that kind of sway? You know, it's like, and then the same thing sort of happened with the Knicks where it seemed like he was unhappy. Like it, it seemed like one of the sticking points was that, you know, because of Quentin Grimes being out, it seemed like he was sort of like thrust into this role where he could get 25 to 30 minutes a game. But once Grimes came back, it was like, all right, well, your role's going to be significantly less. And then all of a sudden that's when the reports started coming out, sort of being like, okay, well, Reddish is unhappy now. And it's right. like, are you not content to just play a role in the NBA? Like, is that not an acceptable outcome for you? And I wonder if maybe that's sort of where the disconnect is in his head right now. And if maybe he has to have that like moment of humility from what you saw, do you consider reddish coachable? Um, that's complex, I guess. I mean, sure. I, I think that he seemed like he was getting better at things. Mm-hmm. With the Knicks, which would imply coachability, um, but given the the what we just talked about with like his sort of outsized view of himself and what his role should be and stuff like that, I I kind of think that he maybe is not as coachable as you would want. I mean, I think that all the Tibbs really asked for is just to like buy in mm-hmm. and play the role that he wants you to play, and and then things will just kind of fall in place from there. Um, so it always kind of seemed like he was sort of like a square peg in a round hole right? In, in that regard, because it seemed like he had a vision for himself and it didn't match up with what Tibbs's vision for him was. And then that was sort of where whatever tension that they had between them came from. So I don't know. I, I think that he's working to get better at certain things, granted like other things that still at this point are not better yet. Like the, the footwork on shooting and, and, you know, it, defensive team concept stuff, you know, whatever it, it sort of gives me like a mixed opinion. Like it seems like he's gotten better at some things, but it seems like it's things that he's prioritizing more so than what might extend his career further. Right. Um, so yeah, it's, it's sort of tough. I, I think this is going to be a pretty pivotal year for him though. I mean, he, this is now going to be his, uh, his third team or fourth team, I guess now uh, considering he was with the, the Blazers as well. Yeah. And so like, I think it's going to be hopefully for him sort of a a, a moment of reflection. Moment, yeah. yeah, like a moment of reflection to sort of be like, you know, where do I want to be in my career and am I okay with just being a role player at this point? And if so, am I willing to just learn role player skills rather than thinking that like when the ball touches my hands, it, it has to be cam time. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and th- there were parts 
uh, part of what made me like what he did this year with the Knicks was that it did seem like he was becoming accepting of that a little more at times. And yet then obviously once you hear about what happened behind the scenes and stuff, it seems like he's maybe not right. quite ready to move past that yet. So I, I guess we'll see how it goes, but I feel like there's no more humbling environment in the NBA than like going on to a LeBron James team. Yeah. So hopefully that works out for him and, and he's able to kind of put it all together this year. He's Alex Wolf. He is the co-host of Locked on Knicks, also the editor-in-chief for The Strickland. Really appreciate it, Alex. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me on. And coming up, the final stop of Cam Reddish's NBA career, that's the Portland Trailblazers, and that is next. And now for the final look at Cam Reddish. He is the host of Locked on Blazers, friend of the show, Mike Richmond. How are you, man? I'm doing great. I'm glad that I am the guy who previews Carmelo Anthony and also Cameron Reddish. I'm glad to be that for locked on for locked on Lakers. It's a special well, special spot. It was a short time for Reddish in Portland, just 20 games, but 12 starts, averaged 11 points in just under 28 minutes at a pretty chaotic time for the Blazers. Before we get into some of the specifics, what did you just make of him broadly speaking during this time? Uh, great dude, honestly, really good dude. Uh, he showed up in Portland after, and and you know your listeners know this because you're in the third segment of the program. Thanks for sticking around. Uh, but <laughs> he didn't, he didn't, he didn't play for the Knicks, right? Like he just, he just, it wasn't like he he missed some time. They just said you're not good enough to play for this team. Go chill for six weeks. So he showed up in Portland. He'd been on ice for a while. Um, and so he was so thankful to play and he was really open and honest about his gratitude to have an opportunity. Um, there was a story in the athletic where he was just basically like, I am so, this is so special to me to have a chance. Um, and that, and, and that matters, right? Like it meant having, having a chance matters for these guys because your career window is short, right? Your opportunity is, is not around for a long time. And I, I, I thought the honesty and just sort of like, the willingness to talk candidly about struggles is cool. Um, so very broadly speaking, I'm like six, eight looks like a basketball player. Uh, at one point he was a very highly touted teenager and he seems like a cool dude. I was, I was like, let's, let's, let's go. I'm ready to embrace the Cam Reddish experience. Um, well then once you embraced it, let's get into what you saw. Um, offensively, he, what, what did you see from him out there just in terms of either style shot selection, that sort of thing? Well, they kind of empowered him. That's like a kind of a buzzword in Portland, but they allowed him to uh, to shoot it. They were like, you know, if you get the ball, shoot it. And they were at a stage in the season where they hadn't openly admitted that they were trying to lose, but they were um, they were definitely trying to lose. Um, they, 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 you know, you trade Josh Hart for not good players and a draft pick. It's like, oh, hmm. Hmm. Cam um, Reddish, by the way, was one of those players that came in in the Josh Hart deal. Oh, he, is he the not good player that I just mentioned? <laughs> I'm not I, saying he is. I'm saying he's one of the players who came in in the Josh Hart deal. Yeah, I mean, there was more right. than one. Uh, what's, so. what's, let's call it an upside flyer on a 23-year-old. Okay, sure. we'll, we'll, we'll term it as that. Um, so they were letting him shoot, and he shot it pretty well early on in his career, and I thought he had a pretty good handle for someone his size and got to the rim at least decently for with with his handle, particularly finishing on the left side. He was good with good with that, good on the right around uh, on the rim, finishing on the finishing driving to his left around the rim. Um, 
those skills were there. And I think early on, um, particularly during some injured games and the Blaze, some he had some monster nights. Like he had a monster night in Atlanta where the Bla nothing went right for the Blazers except for Cam Reddish, and they were getting shelled. And it was like, God, I mean, that's a that's an undeniable bright spot on a team that's like really looking for one. And um, like you said, he just didn't keep the consistency. It didn't stay there. And I think the early impressions, like the literally his his second his third game he has eighteen, his fourth game he has twenty four. Uh, a week later, there's that at that game in Atlanta. They started a road trip and got shelled, and he had twenty five. So it was like the early part of the camera experience was like, you could see the outlines of someone who could help. Yeah. You know, I mean, in thinking about this in fairness to reddish and where he's been in his career, he might like the idea of just let it fly whenever you get the ball. I'm not sure though. That's actually the best thing for him in no. terms of just lacking structure with what he needs. Yeah, I mean, I think the best version of Cam Reddish is a supercharged three and D guy who, who the three is is like very sm much smaller print. Um, the best version of Cam Reddish is going to be someone who defends. Early on in his career, he looked like he was going to be a very good defender. Um, sometimes it takes guys a while to figure out that not everyone in the league scores twenty five, and right. in fact, the way to stay in the league is maybe to be someone who scores seven. Um, and so. Uh, I think there's a there's a version, like you said, of of a like much more structured. Okay, Kim Reddish, you have some athleticism, some some uh, whatever lateral quickness, and a lot of size and length. Play defense every night, and right. that's how you get to play. And I I think there's a world where that happens in in L.A. I was going to say, I mean, the Lakers have a defensive structure, and they yeah. also have a pecking order. Like, unless Cam Reddish becomes like the most improved player in the history of most improved players. He's like sixth in the pecking order at best on this team. And oh, yeah. if he's willing to wrap his arms around that, it means that there could actually be a lane and a really specifically defined role for him to fill, which again, it may not be what he envisioned for himself, but it might be what's actually best for him. There is, there is a way that second contracts can humble someone, right? This was not when Cam Reddish was 17 and he was the best player in his recruiting class that featured RJ Barrett and Zion Williamson and John ja, ja Morant at all. Like when he was the best player in his recruiting class, probably didn't think he'd be a role player. He thought he was going to be right. rich by the time he signed a second contract in the league. And he's certainly has more money than you or I, Andy. But there is a way in which like, hey, I hit free agency for the first time. And it wasn't a robust market in which there was a bidding war for Cam Reddish. I am a clutch sports guy who went to the clutch sports team. Like I went to the place where they have folks like me. And I think that can help you figure out what you need to do. Okay, this is how I'm going to stay in the league. This is how I'm going to be. This is how I'm going to contribute. This is how I'm going to be a plus player in the league. And if I do all those things, the big payday or a bigger payday, whatever that looks like, can come down the line. I, I I recognize that last season's Portland Trailblazers team was a very difficult setup for evaluating defensive instincts and acumen and effectiveness and stuff like that. But on that side of the ball, what did you notice, if anything, with Reddish? Yeah, you know, I I, I was hoping for more, quite frankly. Um, I early on, like his rookie season in Atlanta, I thought Cam Reddish was about to be like a a very good player. I was pretty high on him after, after year one. Um, I was like, dang it. Maybe they did win the Luca <laughs> trade. No, I didn't actually, I wasn't that far, but I was like, Hey, this is like, 
you know, this is, this is, this is the exact type of wing you want. Look at Atlanta has a bunch of young, good players. Now, none of those guys are on the team anymore. Um, but it is, it, it just never happened for him in Portland. It just never, he never clicked for him defensively. A lot of that, as you mentioned, is a brutal ecosystem. Um, he shows up at the trade deadline and then by March, so a month after, a little bit later, you know, but there's a, a, a month of games because I'll start break. Um, they pulled the plug like uh, in the way, like not like it slowly comes down the drain. Like they smashed right. a hole in the tub and they said, actually they, they got rid of the tub. They just threw the tub <laughs> out the window and they said, just let it flood. Yeah. Like, listen, we don't need this. We don't need, we're not going to use this anymore. So then he was just in this environment where they're playing, not just like young guys, 10 day guys, dudes who haven't right. been on the team. Like it was just a right. weird. Um, so the last little bit of his, of his, tenure with the Blazers was just not set up for him to like be in a good defensive ecosystem and it, it never popped for him here defensively but I still have faith that he has tools to be a good good defender and typically if you have the tools and you play around other good defenders you look better uh, I think Rui Hachimura is a pretty good example of this yeah I don't think he was someone who's thought of as a good defender but he's like big and athletic and then he plays on a team with big and athletic dudes and it's like oh yeah Rui fits in just fine so, so the tools, you could see them even in these less than ideal circumstances in sure. Portland with, with Reddish. Sure. Long arms, um, at, athletic for his size. Like he's not like a crazy leaper, but like the, the, um, the, he doesn't have the vertical athleticism, but that lateral quickness, just like he can move for someone his size. And you'll see it when he dribbles, like, it's like, oh, he's got a little, he's got like, he's got more to him. Like he's got, he's, he, there is. Um, you know, he's not going to windmill dunk on you, but there he's athletic for, for right. being as big as he is. So, yeah, I, I think I think it's there for him. It's the question always with him is, can you tap into it consistently? And I think, um, you know, this is his opportunity to figure some way to be a consistent contributor. Given that the Blazers are in rebuilding mode, I mean, and I guess maybe it's a little bit difficult to know just because they've been They're waffling. actually in purgatory, yeah. Well, yeah, I was going to say, well, they may be in rebuilding mode at some point, but like they may, they made a decision on draft day that they were going to, if nothing else, err on the side of maintaining youth, uh, stockpiling, that sort of thing. With that in mind, were you surprised that they didn't make any effort to keep Reddish? A little bit, a little bit, but it was pretty clear by the end of his tenure that they were only going to prioritize him at the minimum. Like it just, mm -hmm. it, 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 the real, the real test. And he is like when they did throw the tub out and they sucked like, and they were getting thrashed and they were getting thrashed on purpose and it was great for them. And, and it really, it set the franchise up. I love losing on purpose and incentivizing losing is good leak. Um, but <laughs> when they did that, when they did that, cam didn't stand out. Right. He had some opportunities to grab grab the reins and say, no, nope, like there's there's 18 shots available. Right. Um, like, I don't think these two way dudes are above me in the pecking order. He didn't stand out in those games. And then he got hurt, hurt his ankle at the at, at the end of, of that uh, run. Um, so, like. I think when he didn't when he wasn't one of the stars of the tanking session, it was like, yeah if he wants to come back for the league minimum, we'll have him. And, and his qualifying offer was 7 million bucks. So he was, right. they weren't going to extend that money to him because he would have taken it. And that is dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's always been tough to know exactly where the interest 
on the Lakers side towards Cam Reddish began and ended, but it's been pretty obvious on the clutch side that they have wanted him here. Sure. And, you know, there can be a lot of reasons for that. And I, I think some of them make a lot of sense. As you mentioned, like there's a structure for him here. He can learn from, you know, arguably the greatest player of all time in LeBron and a pretty damn good player in his own right in Anthony Davis. You know, they've got great player development. Like th- as much as it is a low cost, you know, low risk flyer for Reddish from the Lakers side of it. I mean, if it doesn't work out, unless there are injuries, in all honesty, it doesn't really matter. For Reddish, there is actually an opportunity for him here. Sure. I I think of it like the Lonnie Walker signing, right? Lonnie was absolutely part of the plan. Um, and he was like a good, like low level, hey, take a take a flyer. Then they made some moves and he wasn't part of the plan. And then he gets to the playoffs and you're like, we need you again. And he mm-hmm. shows up and is great and ends a dynasty and all that. And it's like, um, Cam could probably see himself like, yeah, that's what I need. I need that sliver of Lonnie Walker opportunity, and I will, I too will seize it the way Lonnie did. Uh, this is all great stuff, man. Appreciate the perspective. He's Mike Richmond. He is the host of Locked on Blazers. Make sure to be listening because there's eventually going to be something happening with Damian Lillard. Wait, that is- what, what is going on with the Trailblazers? <laughs> I Are, have they been in the news recently? Listen, we have fun on the show. Like, I, I It is an, an angsty time in Blazer land, but if you are curious about what's happening with Damian Lillard and the whole saga, um, I feel confident in saying that you're not going to find someone who covers it from more angles than I do on the internet. So uh, come check it out on Lockdown Blazers. And I am confident in seconding uh, Mike's confidence. Uh, coming up Tuesday, Brian should be back. And until then, see everyone. Thanks.